Let's pray together as we stand. Father, uh, as we come to your word uh, this morning, and as we consider this, this doctrine of the Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity, um, we ask that you would make yourself clear. Now, when we speak of the Trinity, we are so audacious as to think that we are speaking not just of some sort of philosophical problem, not some uh, sort of mental trick to get us to do certain things or behave in a certain way, that, but that we actually believe we are describing who you are in a very important way, in a fundamental way. And with such an audacious claim as that, we are also audacious enough to ask you to clarify yourself in such a way that we may live in this very, very close relationship with you. Uh, and that's only something, that's something that only you can do, so we ask you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. Uh, so once again, happy Trinity Sunday to you all. I don't know when the last time somebody wished you a happy Trinity Sunday was. Was it last year? I don't know. Um, but uh, it, it's kind of one of these Christian holidays that, that regularly gets overlooked. Um, and, uh, but it, it has a long pedigree. It's been a Christian holiday for some, somewhere around a thousand years. I think it was Thomas Beckett uh, put it on the church calendar right after he was made uh, a bishop. So there you go. That's kind of fun. But one of the things that's a little odd about Trinity Sunday is that most of uh, the Christian calendar, most of the days that we celebrate as Christians rehearse a moment in Jesus's life or an aspect or an event that happened in the early church. So Christmas, Jesus's birth, Easter, his death and resurrection, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, on the church and the formation of the church, that was last week. But this week is different because we celebrate not an event, but a doctrine. And it's a weird doctrine. Isn't it? It's weird in a couple different ways. It's weird on the one hand because it is the unique doctrine of Christianity, right? There are a lot of doctrines and a lot of teachings within Christianity that are shared with other religions and with other philosophies and so forth. I mean, there's lots of people. You don't have to be a Christian to think that loving each other is a good idea, right? You don't have to be a Christian to think that um, you should do good things and, and, and avoid bad things and any number of other uh, things that can be shared. But one of the most important things that distinguishes Christianity from every other philosophy or religion is this doctrine of the Trinity. In fact, there are a number of other religions around the world that find the doctrine of the Trinity to be the most offensive thing we ever talk about. So a question comes up for me, why would we make such a big deal of it? Why do we set aside a day? And why do we actually not just set aside a day, why is it right at the heart of everything we talk about every, every single time we gather together as Christians? And here's what I want to show you. The reason the Trinity is so important to Christians is that the doctrine of the Trinity is the message of Christianity. Let me put it differently. Christianity's best gift to the world is all wrapped up in the doctrine of the Trinity so that if you could open up the doctrine of the Trinity, what you would find, 
according to Christianity, is that inside the doctrine of the Trinity, you've got all the very, very best gifts. All the very best gifts that, God, that Jesus wants to give us are all packaged in there. And therefore, we make a, such a big deal about the doctrine of the Trinity, not because we, want to, we enjoy being exclusive or anything like that, but rather because we think this is the very best way that we can serve. It's the very best gift that we have to give to the world. And that's what we want, need to unpack this morning. And here's the way I want to unpack it. I want to ask two questions. We're going to look at that second reading, the gospel reading, and we're actually really just going to look at the very last sentence in the gospel reading. And I want to ask two questions. Number one, what is the main thing that Jesus wants to give us? And number two, how does he give it to us? And when you understand those two questions, when, you, when we answer those two questions, you'll understand why it is that the Trinity is so crucial to us. All right? All right. Well, you can nod your head or not nod your head. This is where we're going. Let's go. Take a look at the second reading, like I said, in the very last verse, verse 26. Now, let me set up the scene for just a minute. Um, this is Jesus praying right before he gets arrested. Uh, so in just a few hours, Jesus is going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be put on trial, and he's going to be executed. And Jesus knows what's coming. It's very clear from the context that he is, he knows, it's, he may not know every detail, but he knows all the important details. And therefore, when we pick up the story here, Jesus, we're down to the wire, right? The adrenaline is running. He knows that this is the crucial moment. And in that moment... Knowing everything that's about ready to happen, Jesus kneels down and prays. And what does he pray for? Um, if you want to know what's really important to somebody, look at what they pray about. If you want to know what's really important, really, really important, look at what people talk about right before their death, if they know it's coming. And if you want to know what's just most important to somebody, look at what they pray about in the face of death. And that's what we've got right here. This is the stuff that really matters to Jesus. And it might be useful just to pause for a second and reflect, what would you expect Jesus to pray for at this moment? What do you think Jesus is going to pray for right at the crit critical moment in this prayer, he is praying primarily for us. He's praying for those who are going to be his followers in the future. What do you expect him to pray for? Father, I'm going to die. And it will all be worth it if you would just make everybody really, really, really nice people, right? It'll be all be worth it if you just make them follow all the rules perfectly or something. If you make them recycle, I don't know. Look at what Jesus prays for. Look at what's most important to him. Verse 26. Jesus says, Father, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, and then here it is, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and that I may be in them. Now, that is a weird thing for Jesus to pray for. What's he talking about? Um, let me try to illustrate. Have you ever seen the, uh, the film Into the Wild? It's super old. I think it's like 10 years old, but nonetheless. Um, it's, it's about a guy called Christopher McCandless. 
And um, it's a really interesting guy. I, the, the film, I understand, is kind of like, you know, it's the way those films usually are. It's kind of part true and part not. So anyways, but apparently in the early 90s, this guy, Christopher McCandless, uh, he graduated from Emory University, I understand, and, and he did really well. And he was planning to go off to Harvard Law School. But rather than go off to Harvard Law School, uh, without telling his parents, without telling anybody, he uh, gave all his money away. He left his family, never spoke to them again. And he set out across the country. Uh, first he used a car, later on he abandoned the car, and he just hitchhiked around with no money, or very little money. And uh, he changed his name to Alexander Supertramp. And he, sought the, he, he set out on this journey in order to discover what he called real existence. And he eventually ends up in the middle of the wilderness, all alone in Alaska. He goes into the wild. Now, McCandless is a really interesting guy. I find him very, very compelling. He's extremely idealistic, and he is profoundly philosophical. Clearly very intelligent. But over the course of the story, he increasingly isolates himself until at last he's all alone in the Alaskan wilderness. He is starving and he is freezing. And in that place, he writes something down. And this is what he writes down. He says, happiness is only real when shared. Happiness is only real when it is shared. Now, I find that a remarkable insight. I remember the first time I saw that film, I, that just captivated me. It's profound. And it is very helpful for understanding the doctrine of the Trinity and why it's so important to Christians. Okay, keep that in mind and go back to Jesus. Remember what Jesus asks the Father. He says, Father, I pray that the love with which you have loved me might be in my followers and that I might be in my followers. What's he asking for there? Here's what he's asking for. He is asking that God's happiness would be shared with humanity. Or that God's love would be shared with humanity. Now let me explain this just a little bit more. And, and this is where just for a few minutes um, we're going to get just a touch technical and weird. Okay, So lean forward, put your technical weird hat on, and enjoy this. Okay. The doctrine of the Trinity, okay, is that there is one God. Not many gods, one God. But at the same time, that one God has eternally existed in three persons. The three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct from each other, but never separate from each other. It's not that we believe in three gods. It's that we believe in one God. And it's not that we believe in one God with three different masks or faces. We believe in one God who exists eternally as three persons. Now, that is a very strange math problem, yes? Right? Okay. Um, but here's part of what it means. What it means is that the Trinity is fundamentally a relationship. Or the way the Bible puts it is that God is love. Not just that God is loving, not just that God likes to love other people, but rather that God fundamentally, you cannot understand God without understanding God as an activity of love forever and eternally. Uh, one of my professors used to say it this way, 
At the heart of the universe is a relationship. And that is the most fundamental thing I know. Now, what that means is that from all eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been bound together in perfectly satisfying love. Or to think of it in McCandless's way, God's happiness has always been shared within God. And that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 5 of our, of our reading. When Jesus says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What he's talking about there is that before the world existed, Jesus eternally enjoyed a bond of love and happiness with his Father. Now, you might come back at me and say, Jim, okay, that's, that's two, Father and Son, but where's the Holy Spirit? And the answer to that question is that if you look through the rest of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is also always very, very closely associated with God's love. So that, and I can show you this elsewhere, ask me afterwards, that the Holy Spirit is the love and bond between the Father and the Son. It's described as the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in our first reading. Okay, now, if you, if you zoned out, come back. Okay, breathe. Okay. Now, go back to Christopher McCandless. Okay. He goes out and he searches, he's out there in search of real existence. And he does not find real existence in his conventional family. That's very clear. But at the end, neither does he experience real existence, this thing that he's looking for. Neither does he finally experience it out in the wild, maybe in part, but not fully. And at the end, it appears that he came to the conclusion that real existence is when happiness is shared. Now, the tragedy in the film is that he never experienced that himself. He came to see it, so to speak, at a distance, but never got to experience that himself. But in the process, he opened up something that is very deep within the human heart. Why is it, why is it that human beings have to share happiness? Why is it that happiness in me is not fully mature or brought to fruition until somehow it is shared with somebody else? Christians say that the Trinity tells us why. Real human existence is when happiness is shared, according to Scripture, because God's real existence is the sharing of happiness the sharing of love. And the Bible teaches that humanity was created in God's image, which means at least that we were designed to enjoy that love and we were in designed to reflect that love. And therefore, until that we experience shared happiness or shared love, we will never really be satisfied. We'll always know that there's a way in which we're incomplete. And that's why Jesus' prayer at the end, right before he faces the cross, he says in so many words, Father, will you do what it takes in order for my followers to know what it is to be fully human? Will you grant them to know that love that has always been shared within God? Will you grant them to know that happiness which is eternally shared? Will you grant them to know the love with which I have been loved by you from all eternity? That's what Jesus wants for us above all other things. And that's why he went to the cross. Now, 
The second question is, how does he actually share it with us? And that's in the verse 2. Look back at verse 26. Jesus says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known in order that the love with which you have loved me might be in them and I in them. Now, in those verses, in that verse, Jesus promises to do two things. And the first is this. Jesus promises to make God's name known. And that's a fundamental thing in order to share in God's love. Let me explain what that means. When the Bible talks about God's name, um, it's not talking about just a verbal label. Right? My name's Jim. It is just a verbal label. It means nothing. I think James may mean usurper. So I'll let you reflect on that. But when it comes to God in the scriptures, um, God's, when it talks about God's name, it's not talking about a name like that. It's talking about something that describes God's inner character. Maybe usurper does reflect my character, but, but we'll leave that away. God's name in the Bible means who is God? Who is he really? Who's his character? Is he trustworthy? Is he good? Is he bad? Does he not care about us? Does he? That, those are the questions that, when answered, reveal God's name. And that's what Jesus reveals to us. And, it, and it's crucial because you cannot really uh, love someone until you know enough about them to trust them. It, I mean, you can't really be close and intimate with someone without knowing if you can trust them. And so, the first thing Jesus does is he reveals who, God's, who God is. And he does that in a variety of ways. He does that through his teaching. So if you want to know who God is, this, Jesus says, look at what I teach. But Jesus also, and perhaps more fully even, reveals who God is by what he does. And in particular, God reve Jesus reveals God's character when he dies upon the cross. Every time I watch the film, or each time I have watched the film Into the Wild, I find myself at the end really sad. I find myself at the end wanting the story to end differently. And what I want to have happen is I want there to be a rescue at the end. I, I want uh, McCandless's father or sister, or mother, to find him, and to go out into the wilderness, seek him out, and find him. And I want that to happen for a variety of reasons, but one of the main reasons I want that to happen is that I want McCandless to experience the shared happiness that he knows in the end that he wants and needs. And in my imagination, in my alternative ending to the story, what happens is his father goes out into the wilderness and finds him there, and takes his head in his hand, and the two of them look at each other, and as they look into each other's eyes, the joy of the rescuer, the father, and the joy of the rescued, McCandless, join together in the first taste of shared happiness. Now, that's not the way that story ends, but it's the way Jesus' story ends. Because on the cross, Jesus was going into the wilderness in search of isolated humans who were therefore, because of their isolation, half-human. And he went searching for humans. He went searching to find us. And he was 
in, on the cross, he's going out into the wilderness, finding us in our isolation, cut off from God's love, and there he switches places with us. In a remarkable moment, he takes upon himself on the cross our isolation from God's love, and in exchange, he gives us the love which he has enjoyed before the foundation of the world. And in that moment, when we see Jesus Christ on the cross as rescuer, the joy of the rescuer, God, and the joy of the rescued, us, join together in the first taste of eternally shared happiness. And that's the first taste of a Christian's real existence. Jesus shares God's love by showing us who he is, most eminently when he is on the cross. But then, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son. And Jesus, as Jesus shows us who God is, particularly in his work upon the cross, as we see that, God's, that rescue, that joy we begin to know, that happiness we begin to know is the first sign of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. That's what we were talking about last week. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus vivid to us. And as the Holy Spirit makes Jesus vivid to us, we realize he's not just a historical figure. We realize that he's somebody that we can trust and we want to entrust ourselves to. And then you find that the Father is not just a far-off deity, but rather he is your Father and you find yourself in a family and it's the family for which you were created. And that's when we're knowing real existence. That's when you're beginning to share in God's real existence. Not just yours, but God's own. Friends, today's Trinity Sunday. Why do we make a big deal about it? Well, we make a big deal about it because Jesus says it's the key to real existence. And if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower or you're wrestling with this or you're thinking it through, let me encourage you to explore the doctrine of the Trinity in all its weirdness. Let it be weird and explore it. Because within it, you will find Jesus' best gifts. And for 2,000 years, Jesus followers have, have been experiencing this prayer of Jesus being fulfilled in their lives, and they found that the Trinity is an inexhaustible well of insight and joy and transformation. So explore it and ask all the hardest questions you can think of. But then secondly, if you are a Jesus follower, maybe you've been a Jesus follower for a very, very long time, then let me encourage you to enjoy the Trinity and reflect the Trinity. Enjoy the Trinity means giving particular attention to sharing in the happiness of God through the sacrifice of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when I say that, I do not mean that, that, that your life is going to be just happy, happy, joy, joy, you know, happy in the simplistic sort of way. In fact, many of us will experience the Trinity most acutely in times where you are knowing most pain in your life. Never forget that God's love is displayed most fully in the death of his son. And if you are in the midst of pain, and if you're in the midst of darkness, 
then the way you enjoy the Trinity is you say, Jesus, I'm here and I need you to find me here. And the wonderful news is that Jesus seeks you out and finds you not just when you're first coming into the faith, but rather all through your faith in Christ, all through your journey. You will find Jesus seeking you out. He knows where you're at in the midst of your pain. He knows where you're at in the midst of your failure. He has been there and he was there on the cross and he will find you and weep with you. And as he weeps with you, he will lead you to your father and you will know love in a deeper way. And that will be the the beginning of your redemption and the redemption of your pain. Enjoy the Trinity. But then share the Trinity. And that means love each other really well. And love each other not because it's a rule, not because you should, It's really hard to love for the sake of a should. Love each other because that is real existence. McCandless, like I said, McCandless did not find real existence in the conventional family. And friends, we won't either. Not in the final analysis. The gospel is not the gospel of the conventional family. It's good, but it's not everything. But nor did McCandless find real existence when he was just out on his own, charting his own path by himself. We find real existence in knowing God and in loving God's people. And we find there that God is bringing us into a new kind of family, a family that is deeper and richer and will last longer than any other family. And it's the family of the church, which is that portion of humanity which has been brought into the family of God and the family of the Holy Trinity. Enjoy the Trinity, reflect the Trinity, and love each other well. Amen? Amen.